Well, here we are. My last sermon as pastor is suddenly here. I purposely didn't say finally here because that would suggest that I was anxiously awaiting it. And quite the opposite is true. I've never really thought about my last sermon. And that's much because being a pastor is not just what I do, it's who I am. And I don't know much yet about not being a pastor. But this all became very real on March the 5th when um, I did our annual church meeting where I lay out all the plans that we had, the things we did, the money that came in, where it went, and etc. And then I announced to you that um, I wasn't dying, but I was retiring. And I'm, I remain as convinced as ever that we are following the Lord's will in this transition. I, I believe that with all my heart. I believe we are following the Lord's timing. I believe we are following the elevation of the right man to this ministry that will follow me. And I believe we've made this transition in the right manner. We have, Vince and I and Christina and Michelle, we have, we have been very closely joined in these last, uh, well, year and a half really, praying through this, talking through this, planning this, and, um, and here we are. And so I didn't want to end my time with you with a long, boring sermon. And so I've carefully prepared a short, boring sermon that, that I want to share with you this morning. And, uh, and actually, it's something that is very, very important for me to share with you, to share with Vince and Christina, although I know that they're on the same page as me on every one of the points I'm going to share this morning, but also for each one of you individual believers, Christians who call yourselves members of this church. Uh, I, I entitle this message Lessons and Reflections because it contains five things that the Lord has showed me during my time as pastor. And I believe they're timeless lessons. And I believe they will serve this church well. And they'll serve you individually as Christians as well. In fact, they're so timeless that you can find them in the farewell speech that Paul the Apostle gave to the Ephesian elders. There was a time in his ministry where he knew that he was not going to see this dearly beloved church of his anymore. And he gave a farewell speech. And so I'm going to use... His t- the text of that speech to anchor and fortify my remarks to you this morning. And uh, it's good, the, the, the speech is found in Acts chapter 20. And we'll be finding ourselves between the 18th verse and the 31st verse of that, of that passage. And we'll take the verses as they come up in the five points. Um, I want to start out with a word of prayer. And I apologize in advance for those of you who know me well. Uh, you know I'm a, a little bit tenderhearted. And so, when, uh, when I speak about things that matter, sometimes I get a little tiny voice. But let's, let's go ahead and pray. Uh, Heavenly Father God, wow, what a journey it's been, Lord. How faithful you've been to me. How faithful you've been to this church. And so, Father, um, let's work together, too. Leave these final thoughts with these wonderful people. People who have meant so much to me and to Michelle. I pray, Father, that you would just speak through me as you spoke through Paul and fortifying a church that you created from nothing and loved dearly. 
Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, let's look right now at the uh, verses between uh, 18 and 23. The first lesson that I want to share with you is the power of God's calling fortified by prayer. This is what, this is, I want to read these verses and, and, and then I want to pose some questions to you. So this is Paul now speaking to the elders of the Ephesian church. He says, when, when they had come to him, he said to them, you know, from the first day that I came to Asia, in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you. And taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. And see, now I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. Now, if we look at what Paul just described in those verses... Things that are going to be in his immediate future. What the Holy Spirit has revealed to him. We could wonder, why would Paul go in that direction at all? Knowing these things, why would Paul put himself out there to go in the midst of these things? If we summarize the things that he just shared in those verses I read, he said that he's serving the Lord through tears and trials. He knows that his countrymen are plotting to kill him continually. He preaches repentance to the Jews who viewed him as a heretic and as a traitor. He preached repentance to the Gentiles who thought he was nuts. He hears from the Holy Spirit that chains and tribulations await him in the cities that he visits. Why would anyone put themselves through that? Especially if they know it's going to happen. Well, the reason is told to us there in verses 22 through 24. Paul was bound in the spirit, the spirit of God. What was it that bound him to the spirit? It was his calling. Now, the calling that we we are told was Paul's given to him by the Lord is recounted in Acts chapter 9. And the Lord is sending a man to go and to speak to Paul to restore his sight, because in his Damascus Road experience, the Lord took his, his sight from him so that all he would be able to see is inward, in his heart, his conversation with the Lord. And here's what the, the Lord said about Paul in Acts 9, uh, 15 and 16. Let's see if I have it here. I don't, so we won't go there yet. Um, Acts 9, 15 and 16. He is a chosen vessel of mine. To bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Paul remained faithful to his calling because he got it directly from God. For Paul to deny his calling, he would have to deny his faith. He would have to deny the Lord God. And as is reflected in this text that we have here... Sometimes suffering greatly comes right hand in hand with that calling. And when you have a calling that does put you in harm's way, your calling requires you to run towards danger, 
notwithstanding what you may know about the consequences. I'll give you an example. Uh, there was uh, two events that happened over the last two years, tragic events, that illustrate very well what it means to be true to calling. In May of 2022, there was a horrific school shooting in Uvalde, Texas. And after arriving at the scene, the police waited one hour and 15 minutes before confronting the shooter. All the while, as the police were huddled in the hallways of the school, shots rang out and more and more children died. And then in March of this year, tragically, another school shooting took place. The school shooter entered the building and started shooting things up. The police were called immediately. Within 14 minutes of the call to the police, they had put the shooter down and saved who knows how many lives. They came into the building. They heard the shots. They ran towards the shots, found the shooter, and put her down. Now, the difference between those two situations is, in the first case in Uvalde, the police who are called to protect the public from danger failed in their calling. They didn't fulfill their calling. Their leadership was fired. Their police department has been soundly rebuked by the public. In the case of the Nashville police, they have been elevated. They have been celebrated because they ran towards the gunfire and stopped it. Paul ran towards his calling in spite of threats. He had heard his calling from God, and that was that. Now, the reason I bring this to you is because I believe that the voice of God in the life of somebody who is intently listening to him and for him is the most powerful force you ever will experience in your life. And I, and I pose a challenge to you today is, do you have the courage to pray that God will show you what he has for you, come what may? You know, on our website, there is a, a page called Meet Our Pastor, Meet Pastor David. And on that page, I, I put my testimony. And I organized my testimony around three prayers that I had prayed because that is my testimony. I prayed three prayers, and that's why I stand here before you today. The first prayer I prayed was, God, you're a God that I've heard about. I don't even know if you exist. So if you exist, please manifest yourself to me because I really want to know. And he answered that prayer for me. The second prayer is the most obvious one. God, will you save my soul? I believe that you are the Christ. I believe that you came in human flesh. I believe that you lived a sinless life. I believe that you took my sins upon you. You paid the price for those sins by dying on the cross of Calvary. You have been raised from the dead to prove that you've conquered sin and death. I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. He did that too. But the third prayer is the one that's interesting for our discussion here this morning. And, and, and this is the exact prayer that I prayed. And it's actually on the website. This is the prayer I prayed. Jesus, please fill me with your spirit to the point where I will have the power and the time to serve you in whatever way you direct. Now, <laughs> when I prayed that, I had no idea, okay, that this was what he had in mind. Believe me when I tell you I had no idea. In fact, my mind went to Jeremiah when he received his calling 
And the Lord told him, you, Jeremiah, you're going to be a prophet to the nations. Jeremiah was a very young man at the time. He protested to God on two accounts. He protested, protested on the account of his age. Lord, I'm just too young. And he protested to God on the, on the basis of temperament. I'm just too timid. I could never do that. And I, th those two objections came into my mind. And I thought, Lord, they apply here too, just in the opposite measure. Age, I was too old. I was 49. I'd spent a long time going down a long road of doing other things. I'm too old. And temperament, again, in the opposite measure. God, I'm just too aggressive. My entire life up to that point was pugilistic, was conflict, was, I mean, my entire training, first in the legal profession as a litigator, as a negotiator, then in the business world, as, as a business leader, I, I I did not have the wiring for let go and let anybody do anything, okay? And, uh, and yet the Lord, uh, well, he, the Lord answered my prayer in ways, I, I won't take you through it, but sometimes the Lord can rearrange the furniture in your, furniture in your life in a way that you, you never saw coming. In fact, if he had told you, okay, I'm going to answer your prayer, here's what I'm going to do, you say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, maybe, maybe we won't go there. But the Lord will do it. The Lord will answer your prayers in ways you would never, never imagine. Reminds me of a story of this elderly widow. And she lived uh, in these row houses, in low-income housing, where, where the houses are stuck one to another. And, and every evening she'd go out on her porch and she would, she would just have a time of prayer and worship by herself before the Lord. While her neighbor next door was an atheist man who thought the lady was out of her mind. And so whenever he would hear her prayers out there on her back porch, he'd come out on his back porch, which was adjacent to hers, and tell her what a crazy old coot she was, because there is no God, and your prayers are just going up into the air, and nobody cares, and nobody's listening. Well, one day, she was out there in the back porch, and she was short on food for that month, for that week, actually. And so she was praying for, to the Lord for provision, to provide her with food. And the man heard from his kitchen, oh, there she goes again, praying for food. And he was going to go out there and mock her again. But then he got a, another great idea. So he jumped in his car. He ran to the grocery store. He bought a week's worth of groceries. He brought them back. He put them on her porch, rang the doorbell, hid in the bushes. The old lady comes shuffling to the door, opens the door, sees all the food on the porch. She's just giving praise to the Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you. You are so awesome. You are so wonderful. At which point this man jumps out from the bushes and says, Aha, you old coot, God didn't do a thing here. I put those groceries on your porch. See, I've proved there is no God. Well, this lady amps it up and now she's jumping up and down and praising the Lord and waving her hands and speaking in tongues. And the man is freaked out and he says, Goodness gracious, what's gotten into you? She said, well, I knew the Lord would answer my prayers to provide me with food, but I never thought he'd have the devil pay the bill. <laughs> she, she would have never expected that the man who has mocked her all these years would be the instrument in God's hands to answer her prayer. But there are times when God will answer your prayer in a way that you never saw coming. And Michelle and I, <laughs> we know what that feels like. So, calling. Have you asked God to use you to the fullest? 
Are you prepared to get an answer that might blow your mind, change your life, completely reorder your priorities, change the things that you hold so tightly in your hands and now you've got to set them down so that you might be able to do what God has asked you to do? That's calling fortified by prayer. Second lesson, don't despise the day of small things. Zechariah chapter 4 verse 10 says, For who has despised the day of small things? For these seven rejoice to see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. They are the eyes of the Lord which scan to and fro throughout the whole earth. Now this, this phrase, this, this verse was, was written as a prophetic encouragement to the people of Judah as they are coming back. They're returning from 70 years of captivity to rebuild the temple in the land that God had given them. And some of the people in their number, they remembered the, the temple that Solomon had built. Its majesty, its splendor, its size, its, its opulence. And now they see the foundation for the new temple laid out and it's small, smallish, not going to be very impressive. And they're depressed because look what we've become, this small little thing. And yet the Lord says, ooh, no, 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 no. Don't despise the day of small things. That plumb line, that thing that you use to build it straight and right, that's really in the hands of the Lord. And when the Lord is in something, it may start small, but it's going to be everything God intends it to be because he's God. Now, the reason I bring that to your notice as a lesson and, and to tie it to what Paul is telling these Ephesian elders is that Paul was a church planner. Everything Paul did started literally from nothing. In fact, you might even say it started from less than zero because everywhere Paul went to plan a church, there was massive opposition in the form of the Jews who again thought he was a heretic, the Gentiles who thought he was nuts and was infringing on the, the gods that they already worshipped. The, 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 the church of Ephesus was nothing until a man who was called by God came there to begin the work of the Lord. We too, this church, this church started from nothing. It's not a big church now. But you realize that 70% of the churches in America are smaller than this one? It started from nothing. <laughs> that was our first service. <laughs> September 3rd, 2003, I've said before, at our first service, I could spank half the kids that were there because they were mine. And those two people in the front, they could spank me because that's my parents. You see all the way in the back, there's a window there and there's a silhouette and that's me going through my notes for that first lesson I would teach in Colossians. And as I'm bent over, you can tell I'm bent over and I'm probably looking at the text and saying, wait, is that in there? <laughs> there's my son Matt my oldest son Matt and Stephen is there um, one of the Peck kids is running out the door in the back probably saying oh I don't know about this I think that's Isaiah Peck and um, my son Paul was part of our first worship team there they are he's got all that hair in the middle and, and this, was, this was what we started with our first nursery Right there with Michelle, Michael Powell's right there on the left. Natalie Demore is there and Richie is there sitting down. And small things, a couple of families, the Pecks, Davises, Marinis, O'Neill. There were some O'Neills in there. 
And this was, this was church. And when we came together, we just prayed to God, Lord, you know, if we could, if we could be your hands and heart to lead one person to faith, this will have all been worth it. And on our second Sunday, there she was. Eileen Francis had come. She came on our second Sunday. She had been living in Colorado. She was an excellent skier and ski bum. She was also a full-time fan of the rock group Fish. So she traveled in, all over the place uh, watching Fish concerts. And then 2001 came along and she lost a cousin that was like a brother to her. His name was Richie. And around that time, she also was with child and she determined that that child's name would be Richie and that's him right there that she's holding. And she decided that life is short. Things are tough and I need Jesus in my life. And the Lord brought us to us. Us, we had the privilege of being the one to bring her into the kingdom. Our church might be considered small by some, but the Lord has done and will do things in this church that will blow your minds. You can never believe that, oh, but we have just a little this or a little of that. We don't, we, we're not, we, don't have, we don't have a coffee shop. We don't have a bank in the church. I beg to differ. There's a coffee shop around the corner. It's pretty darn good. There's a bank across the parking lot. And you can do your groceries and mail your letters here. So we're pretty awesome. But you know what I mean. Don't despise the day of small things. Every ministry starts out from nothing. The heart of God is, is what determines what will and will not be. And God's heart was with us from the beginning. And I believe he's with you still, with us still. I believe that everything we've done is exactly what he wants done for what he's going to do next. And I personally expect this church will explode. And the Lord will do great and amazing things. So that's lesson number two. Don't despise the day of small things. Lesson number three. And this is perhaps, well, it's fitting that it's in the middle because it's the bullseye of what we do. And that is the beauty of the ministry of reconciliation. Go back to verse 21 of, our, of the text we have for this morning. And Paul says this. This was what he was describing as his activities. Testifying to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as I've already mentioned, the Jews, had, they were turned sideways against Paul. The Greeks thought he was a nut. And there's nothing worse than getting advice from somebody that you have no respect for. And here's Paul. And he's witnessing to both of these two camps, Jews, Gentiles. The Jews and the Gentiles could not stand each other. The Jews believed that the Gentiles were pigs and dogs. The Gentiles had no time for the Jews. There was actually a spiritual predisposition against the Jews because the ruler of this world is Satan. Satan hates the Jews. And so those that, that are following Satan can very easily pick up on that. And that was the case in first century uh, Asia Minor and Europe and Israel. Paul was engaged in a ministry of reconciliation between these two disparate groups. 
In fact, in Ephesians chapter 2, between the 14th and 16th verses, we won't go there now for the sake of time, but Paul described, well, I'm going to go there. I'm sorry, I got to go there because you got to hear it from, from the Lord, not from me, but from the Lord. This is what Paul describes as the situation between the Jews and the Gentiles and what the Lord has done in the reconciliation of them through Jesus Christ. He says in verse 14 of Ephesians 2, for he, Jesus himself, is our peace, who has made both, now he's talking about Jew and Gentile, he has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. You see, left to themselves, all people have a problem being reconciled to anybody else because it requires, if we're going to reconcile to one another, somebody has to give and nobody wants to give in. I'm not going to reconcile my, my hopes, dreams, predilections, talents, whatever, to you. And so... The life between Jew and Gentile of the first century, very factionalized, very bitter. Paul didn't attempt to reconcile the Gentiles to him as a Jew. He knew that was ridiculously impossible. It wasn't even preferable. What Paul was determined to do is to take Jew and Gentile and reconcile them to a single point, that point being Jesus Christ. And you know, it's a funny thing about reconciling to a single point among disparate groups of people. When you reconcile to a single point, you reconcile one to another by definition because you're all going the same way. You're all valuing the same thing. Your value set, your worship, it's all going to the same place. And so you are reconciled. And what you and I have been given is the ministry of reconciliation. We don't reconcile people to us. We don't reconcile people to this church. Don't ever do that. We reconcile people to Jesus. First century, very factionalized. Our country today, even more so. It seems that people are working over time to divide our people, to divide our nation, to divide us on the basis of race, ethnicity, socioeconomic status, opportunity, privilege, you name it. It's being thrown at everybody in our country. And the church is pointed to as working against that. And nothing can be further from the truth. We don't talk about equity. We don't talk about diversity. We don't talk about this or that because it's endemic to who we are. We reconcile people to Jesus Christ. And when people are reconciled to Jesus Christ, we are one. Just as Paul said, we are one. We are one body. We've been doing this for 2,000 years. We don't need somebody to come in here and lecture us about something that is the essence of Christ. And it is the essence of our ministry. We reconcile people to Jesus. If we do that, we are at the head of the class on the diversity scale, on the equity scale, on all those scales. Look around any healthy church. Look around in here. There's no division. There's no them and us. 
There's one thing and one thing only, Christ and him crucified. And because he was crucified for our sins, we live together in victory. We live together in victory. And we have been privileged to be part of that ministry of reconciliation. We've been able to reconcile families. Right there is Barbara Redman, one of the most godly women I have ever known. And if you know Barbara, she's part of this church and has been for a very long time. You would agree with me instantly. The woman that's gazing into her eyes was her daughter, Jessica. Jessica had been estranged from her mom. Jessica had been romanced by the world. She had been dragged away from reconciliation, unity with her family. And through the ministry of this church and through the endless prayers of her mother and many others, Jessica came to faith. I had the pleasure of praying with her to receive Christ. And this was the day of her baptism, much like we did last week. And I wish you could see it. It's hard to see from probably where you're sitting. But if you look at the face, look in the face of Jessica and Barbara. It's as if they had been lost from each other. They had been in far countries. And all of a sudden, they encounter one another and they look in each other's eyes. And they see, Jessica sees who that woman is. She's a woman of God. Gave everything for that girl. Gave everything for her. And she will see her mother in heaven. Jessica tragically died not that long after that. But, but Barbara's life was full because she's reconciled to her daughter. They were reconciled to the same point. Barbara didn't have to say, you need to be like me. You need to do what I, blah, blah, blah. She said, no, you look to Jesus. And finally she did. And then she left us. But we were able to reconcile with her children. We were able to have her children reconciled to God. And Jazzy and Maddie have been part of this church since they were. Maddie was a baby when a lot of that went down. And she immediately became part of this family. She found, she found fellowship here. Reconciliation among races. 2010, when Haiti was devastated, we took a bunch of people, about eight people over there. There was no black and white. There was Jesus. And we were doing VBSs like this one here, and we were going to church service. We, I got to play with their worship team. By the way, people get nervous and start tapping their foot when it gets to be around 1130 because lunch is coming and it needs to come now because I'm hungry. Buddy, when you go to Haiti, first of all, it's 95 degrees and 100% humidity and everybody's dressed to the nines. Okay, Men have three-piece suits. Women are ha hats and gloves and they are looking awesome. And they are singing. They are praising the Lord. They are the multiple Bible messages, testimonies, you name it. It is a rocking celebration of the Lord. And we were there enjoying that in unity, in reconciliation with the same Savior. India, we're going back in October. We'll be in three different places in India. Those people love the Lord. Those people will humble you with their devotion because they love the same Savior you love. And then, of course, this past Sunday, there's a good family that became great. There is Brittany, our dear Brittany, who is the administrator of this church, praying. She has prayed for her husband for years. And that was the day 
that he was baptized, and I, and I purposely baptized him first so that he could help me baptize Fiona, their daughter. Reconciliation in families. Another great family. All being reconciled to the Lord. And, and it was Israel's day to come to the Lord. There's his brother right next to him and sister. And they are all seeing the same Lord and Savior. And that will be the bedrock of their family. And there he is, man. The Lord's got great things in plan for this kid. There's Brian. Welcoming his children into the family of God. A good family is going to become great. Another great family. There's Daphne and Danny about to be baptized. Their dad speaking on their behalf. Mom hugging Daphne. This, this, is, this is the ministry of reconciliation. This is what we do. Huh? Liam and Cindy getting ready to welcome a child into the world. Building their foundation on the rock that is Christ. Being reconciled. You know, a husband and wife, if you're reconciled to Christ, your marriage is bound tight. Three-strand cord is not easily broken. Husband, wife, Jesus, happening right here before our eyes. Holly, Holly Huff, opened a Bible one day, never knew anything about the Lord, opens the Bible. The Lord pricks her heart. Hey, hey, beautiful daughter of, my, of the king, this is real. And she comes to faith. David, piano prodigy, prayed for by his parents. I, I remember praying for this kid with his dad, Jim Hitchcock, w- when he was just a baby. And here he is now being reconciled to the same Savior as his mom, Grace, who's there with him. And his dad, Lexi, needed fellowship so bad. Her life was off, off to the side. And then she meets beautiful women in our church, goes to a... a Uh, women's conference reconciled to the same savior absolutely beautiful Kathy Kathy's granddaughter has been coming here with her good friend Maddie McGann grandma who had been with walking with the Lord decides she needs to really become closer with the Lord she wants to be a witness for her daughter for her granddaughter gets in the water reconciles herself again starts to build a legacy for her granddaughter. This is what we do. This is the most important thing we do. Don't get in the busyness of ministry and forget that there are people dying without your testimony, without being shown the word of God. This is what you do. This is who you are. Greatest joy of my life. Fourth lesson I want to leave you with. Look at uh, between verse, this lesson is teaching the whole counsel of God. We're not going to spend a lot of time in this. I'm going to direct you back to last week's message entitled Persevere. If you weren't here, it's on our website, all about what I'm about to share with you. But look at the verses between 26 and 31 in our text and get the urgency in Paul's voice here. He says, therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. 
Also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. Now why would Paul make a point of pleading his innocence of the blood of all men? Because that's how seriously he saw the damage that would be done if he failed to preach the whole counsel of God. To fail to preach the whole gospel of God, the whole counsel of God, is to leave the flock malnourished. And if you ever watch any of those nature shows and you see the predators, the lions, the cheetahs and whatnot, and they're on the outskirts of the herd, they're looking for who's malnourished. They're looking for who's sick. Because those are the ones that they can run down the easiest and have an easy meal. And Paul the Apostle states unequivocally, I am innocent of your spiritual blood because I have not shunned to teach you the whole counsel of God. There aren't many things that I can say before this church with a great deal of bravado and confidence. When I look back on my time as your pastor, I I, I see see the peaks, but I also see the valleys, and some of those were pretty low, and not because of you, but because of me. But I can stand before you today, and I can... I can co-opt those verses. I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you, for I have not shunned to declare the whole counsel of God to you. And the reason why I feel so good about Vince being the next pastor is he feels exactly the same way. This is what we do. This is who we are. And a church that is is, is malnourished is a prime target for the enemy. You know, most heresy, most, most apostate teaching, it doesn't come out of thin air. It's not made out of whole cloth. Typically what's done is a, a truth from scripture is taken out of context and then it's stretched and pulled and pressed over some manner of carnal desire or objective and it becomes a theology. And people who are not schooled in the whole counsel of God, they don't see that coming and so they suffer for it. And this is something we will never let happen here because we love you and because we want this church to be a vibrant, godly, spirit-filled church until the Lord comes for us. Now, finally, lesson five. There's an epilogue. There's an epilogue to the church in Ephesus. The epilogue is always that little part at the end of a movie or a book that kind of summarizes the aftermath of the action. And there's an epilogue to this beautiful farewell sermon of Paul in Ephesians. It's found in Revelation chapter 2, verse 4, the letter to the church at Ephesus. And if you look at that letter, it's, it's, it's puzzling. It's puzzling and it's troubling because there's a contrast there. Um, I'm just going to turn to it real quick. Um, but in that, in that letter, the Lord says these things, says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, that's Jesus. I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience, have labored for my name, namesake, and have not become weary. Wow! That's pretty awesome. These guys got it going on. 
Except the next verse, which is that one. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. That first love that he refers to is the Lord God himself. How could this be? How could they be doing all this good stuff, persevering with patience, laboring in his name, uh, discerning evil and kicking it out? Isn't that what we're supposed to be doing? That's a qualified yes. See, here's the thing. We have to be careful not to let the work of the ministry rob us of the privilege of ministry. This happens, this happens more often than we care to admit, and it's easier to fall into it than I would care to admit. But think about it this way, and, and some of those pictures kind of give you this impression. We, the disciples of Christ, we're in the delivery room when he births a new baby Christian. We're, we are there. I've been there many times at the bedside of the aged saint being welcomed into glory. I've held the the sutures for the Lord as he's mended broken hearts. And you can and you have too. This is privileged stuff. You might think this is stuff we do for the Lord. Not really. It's not like he couldn't do it without us. This is stuff we do with the Lord. We get to do that with the Lord. And the more you do things with the, more, the Lord, the more your heart explodes with love for the Lord. If the trajectory of your love for the Lord is a steady state or maybe dipping down, you're missing it. It should be a continuous up and to the right trajectory. The more you know the Lord, the more you'll love the Lord. The more you love the Lord, the more you'll want to know the Lord. It's, it's, it's one of those wonderful self-feeding loops And if you get into that loop, you will not fall into what is said here about the Ephesian church. They lost their first love. For me, this is my last sermon as a senior pastor of this church. But I have ministry ahead of me. That's my first and future ministry. I have... Many uh, opportunities with our ministry partners in India and other places in the world that I want to be more involved with. I have opportunities with some other ministries to help them, shepherd them. I hope I'll get a chance to play on the worship team long enough to whip out that white (laughs) telecaster. But I want to minister to my family. My heart is for my grandchildren. There's my grandson, Dara, there. In about another 10 minutes, he'll be taller than me. He's 10. Um, I want to ask my wife, Michelle, to come up here. Because, as Paul said, many times you don't see her. But our services are very often wonderful because of what she does. Our children are loved and blessed, all of our children, because of what she does. And I... I'm blessed in the middle of battle because she is my partner. And she is the most godly woman I know. And I love her dearly. I want to thank also my sons. 
Stephen and and Matt have not lived in this area much, but when they were here, they always served in this church faithfully. Paul has been here um, for all of our years, I think, but maybe four when he was in Egypt. uh, Oh, I'm sorry, New Jersey. (laughs) (laughs) Say la même chose, as they say in French. Uh, Same thing. Um, but, um, But Paul has been a... I call him a Swiss Army knife. Uh, whatever I've ever needed, whatever this church has ever needed, he either knows it or can figure it out. And he, together with Bree, have fortified our church in ways that, uh, again, you'll probably never know. I want to thank our elders, and we've had a series of elders over the years, but there are, there are two who have been... Uh, they are part of the foundation of the church, and that's... Larry Pope and his wife Sue and Jack Pascal, and his wife Trish, and um, and and now we've had uh, we've had Jeff on the board, and we, we have um, uh, Paul Durinsky on the board. These are men who are godly men. We've got Dave Jenner here, who was on the board for a while until he defected. <laughs> Don't let him get out of the building without giving him a tongue lashing. We're always, we're always on your case, Dave. Um, these are people, and there's many more. I mean, the, the, the number of people who have, who have made our lives in this church wonderful, too numerous to mention, but all significant and all um, amazing. I'd like to ask Vince and Christina Vincent to come up. Because we would like to pray over you. And I want you to know, again, I would not, I would not do what we're doing here lightly. I, I, I wouldn't, and I would not be like, well, man, my time is up. If I can just find somebody who can fog a mirror and, and, and open a Bible, um, we're good to go. No, no, I would, I would be here for another 20 years if, if the Lord had not brought somebody of this stature and caliber and godliness into our midst. And, and honestly, when I tell you, I, I, I'm, not even, I'm not even kidding. I knew, I, first of all, I knew that the, the Lord's hand was on this man from the moment I met him. And it wasn't all that long after that that I saw him as the one who would take the next chapter of this church. And so you should be very blessed and, and feel very fortunate that the Lord handled it all. You didn't have to worry about whether, you know, the leadership of this church would get it right or not. All we did was be obedient. And, and that's, that's all, all we can ask of, of Vince and Christina, just be obedient. It gets real easy when, when you, you know, the things to do are always easy. Doing them is the hard part. But the things to do are easy because lo- the Lord will show it to you. He doesn't want to dishonor his own church, right? He wants his church to be honorable. He wants it to be godly. He wants it to be impactful in the world. This church has been that till now because we've listened some the the only thing that ever got in the way of our church was me and that's true of most churches the the biggest the most dangerous impediment the church can have is the pastor or pastors and so you got to approach this with enough humility to say this is god's church when the day comes when you're handing the torch off you're you're not giving your church to somebody you're giving god's church to his next man okay so so stay humble, brother. But let's let's all pray. Uh, can I ask the other elders come up? Jeff, come up too. Can we pray? Uh, can we pray over this beautiful couple? 
We are so fortunate to have this beautiful couple. Come on up, boys. Here we are. Father, we bow our hearts before you. We thank you so much, God, for your graciousness, your goodness, your deep and abiding love for us, your care for this little church, Lord. How dearly you love it. How wonderfully you've cared for it. And how wonderfully you've provided for us, Lord, to bring Vince and Christina to this place, Lord. Of all the places they could go in this country, they came here. They didn't know it, Lord. They probably prayed a prayer much like mine and never thought it would be here. And here they are. And so, Lord, fill Vince with your spirit. Anoint him in his calling. Let him run towards the fire, as I've tried to do over 20 years, Lord. Let him be humble before you. Let him be courageous before the enemy, knowing that you, your right hand will guide him. Your staff will protect him. Lord, bless and protect Christina. Breathe life into her, life like she's never known, not only to minister to her husband and her son, but to all of the people of this church, Lord. How fortunate are we, Lord, to be your children. Bless this dear couple and use them mightily. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.